Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Victoria Buitron. She's an award-winning writer who hails from Ecuador and resides in Connecticut. She received an MFA in creative writing from Fairfield University. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in The Normal School, Smoke Long and Espanol, Southwest Review, The Ascentos Review, Avona Fellow. Her work has been selected for 2022's Best Small Fictions and Wig Leaf's Top 50. Her debut memoir and essays, A Body Across Two Hemispheres, is the 2021 Fairfield Book Prize winner and available wherever books are sold. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you, Ronit. I really appreciate today and having the chance to get to talk to you. Oh, I'm so happy to talk with you. And this is a big treat because we got to meet in person and read together back in, was it April? Maybe it was April in Connecticut, right? Yes, it was in April and it was at a library and there were so many people there. It was a wonderful event. Yeah, there were so many people. That was actually the biggest event I'd done for my new book. So you read from A Body Across Two Hemispheres, which I hadn't read yet personally. And I read from Home as a Made-Up Place. And I was like, wow, I really am enjoying this reading. And then I saw that you had contributed to the Citron Review, where I am an editor. And so we kind of intersected there. And the people who came to our reading covered pretty much a broad age range. We had a lot of college students, it looked like, and we also had some of their parents or older people, and they were really engaged. They were. They asked a lot of questions, and they were very in-depth questions. I think it was such a lovely event. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really, really great. And I was so glad to meet you there. And so for people who haven't read your book yet, can you share a bit about A Body Across Two Hemispheres? Sure. So my book is about living basically between Ecuador and the United States, and specifically Milagro, Ecuador, which is a small town about an hour away from Guayaquil and in Connecticut. So I separated the book into three sections. The first section is called the Southern Hemisphere, then between borders, and then the Northern Hemisphere. And it is a memoir and essays. And it took me a few years to write, and I'm very proud of it. Mm -hmm. I fully enjoyed this book, and I every time I read a memoir and essays or a lyric type of memoir, I just feel this big sigh uh, come out of me because I feel like I've been given permission to just enjoy the words and the story and not to work so hard at making sense of the big picture necessarily. And the big picture, it forms and comes to me later without me working too hard for it. But it's sort of like a permission as a reader for me and also as a writer to approach my work in different ways. Did you find essay writing first in your writing career or did it come to you later? How did you start working this way? Oh, I loved what you said, first of all, about mm-hmm. the focus on how memoir and essays is different from, let's say, a book full of chapters and that's very chronological. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. And 
My book did not start out as a memoir and essays. I began really focusing on it when I was in my MFA program. This book was my thesis, and that's what I started to write. But the first, (laughs) this is funny to me, but the first (laughs) section that I wrote early on was me arriving to the United States at five years old and thinking that one of the bridges that we passed by was actually a huge circus. And Mm -hmm. it just felt wrong. I was really trying to put this book in a chronological sense of, you know, coming to the United States, going back to Ecuador, coming back to the United States. And it just did not work for me. Every time that I tried to do it in that way, I felt a pushback from the words on the page. And eventually towards actually my last semester is when I said, you know what, this is a memoir in essays. And Mm -hmm. so I love the fact that somebody can open the book to whichever essay and just read that essay and they don't Mm -hmm. have to read the entire thing or they can start wherever they want to. Of course, it does form a whole if you start at the southern hemisphere and in the northern hemisphere but in general i just love that about memoir and essays like oh today i just want to read one essay and that's mm-hmm. all the energy i have for the day <laughs> and like you said as both a a, a reader it, it's really great that i that you can have that opportunity just to read one essay and understand this you know moment or this time in a person's life but also how it affected them in a much larger scale. Mm-hmm. And that, yes, exactly. And I think that this idea of you're trying to go chronologically and then realizing later that you weren't going to do that is a really interesting one, especially if you have editors working with you or you're in an MFA program. I'm curious what your advisors and the people who are reading your thesis said to you about this and, and what kind of support or pushback you got. That's a great question. Because you're right, it's really important to have mentors in your life that will support you in your vision or guide you towards the vision that you're kind of trying to looking for. Because sometimes you don't even have a vision. You just know that you want to do something, but don't know how it's going to come out. I was very lucky that in my program, one of my mentors was Dinty W. Moore, and he is the creator of Brevity. So I have a lot of flash essays in my memoir. And I think that it was because I had workshops with him and I also read for brevity for about two years. And the longer essays in my collection are interspersed in between with a shorter or sometimes 100 word essays. And I also was able to work with Adriana Parmo, um, who is a Colombian writer. And uh, she was also my mentor, and she's also a Flash nonfiction writer as well. Mm. So I feel like Mm. being in that environment where Flash was not only welcomed, but kind of like, you could definitely do more of this. Let's do (laughs) it. You're safe here. Bring me your Flash. Yeah. Yeah, you can be creative. You can change form. I remember Adriana saying once that it's kind of like a compartment, like this box where you put Mm. in this in the essay and you can also mold it into different shapes and that really helped me in kind of letting loose and saying you know what if it doesn't work in a chronological way of chapter one chapter two chapter three and it has to be divided in three sections based on location 
instead mm-hmm. of time, mm-hmm. so be it. Let's do it that way. Yeah, I just love that. It just makes me so happy, which I, I've been writing a little bit more lyric and flash myself. And I just think like that's where I'm heading right now. I love it so much. And what's also really funny, and I didn't interrupt you when I when I gasped quietly, is that Dinty Moore, I just interviewed him and he, he is appearing on an episode before you. Oh, so, wow. So fun. So yeah, I love that. I just love that. I think that I shouldn't even say this, Victoria, because then everyone's going to do it. But I feel like Flash is the best kept secret ever. (laughs) I love that. You think it Uh is a secret? Oh, no, it's not. It's new for me. I mean, I guess it's newer for me, right? People who love it, love it, right? That's true. I mean, Brevity has been around, I think now, what, 23, 24 years? No, he said 25, and they just won some type of notice from Poets and Writers. It's there as a resource. Yeah. It's 25. amazing. Yeah, and I I just hope it continues. (laughs) Yeah, no, he sounded sounded really happy about that. So let's talk about your manuscript and when you knew that you had the makings of a book and and how you knew where to submit it. That's, that's, I would love to talk about that. That's a little more nuts and boltsy, but I'd love to know about that. So when did you know, ah, I have enough material for a manuscript or, oh, this is a manuscript and, and where you submitted it? I think that one thing that helped me to be accountable is the MFA program I was in because Mm -hmm. I made this book um, as part of my thesis. So I had to graduate with something, a certain amount of pages. <laughs> and it was not complete when I graduated, but I had a very big chunk of it there. Mm-hmm. So I graduated in July of 2020. And in the following months, I submitted it to a couple of places. And then I heard about the Fairfield Book Prize. And the submissions for that were open, I believe, in November and December of that year, of 2020. And I almost did not submit it uh, to as consideration for the Fairfield Book Prize because nobody had ever won in the creative nonfiction category. All the times that there had been winners, it was a novel, which is great. I looked at it from a statistical point of view and I said, I don't really think there's a chance there, even though I believe in this. And then one of my friends from the program actually said, I really think you should, you don't lose out on anything. And I submitted it and then I turned out to, well, it turned out that A Body Across Two Hemispheres won. So that is how it wow. happened. That's how it went from from you know me focusing on writing this book for many years in the MFA program at Fairfield and then eventually it being published through Woodhall Press, which has mm-hmm. an agreement with Fairfield that they will publish the Fairfield Book Prize winner. Mm-hmm. And Woodhall Press, I've seen them quite a bit ever since my book came out. They, they show up a lot in my social media feed and they're pretty active and they've got a lot of books. They do. They have a lot of books, different genres, and they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem, you know, I don't have personal experience. I haven't been in conversation with them, but that is the sense I get from everything that I've seen. So I was hoping you could read the translator from your collection. Yes, and actually, you mentioned at the beginning of our talk that yeah. you are the editor for the Citron Review, uh-huh. and this piece was actually published by the Citron Review. 
See what I mean? I think I'm just sort of crisscrossing everything. I'm just like, okay, we are connected. We're connected in this way, this way, this way, and that's it. So Victoria, I don't think you're going to get rid of me ever. Okay. Well, I love that. I'm there for that. Okay. So yes, this is the translator originally published by the Citron Review and then in my memoir. My brother places his scrawny right hand over his stomach and uses his weight to tilt the chair backward. Only the rear legs are touching the ground. What a good orgasm, he utters with a smile. I look to my mother at the head of the dinner table. Her eyes are scrunched up, fighting the laughter that will spray the soup from her mouth onto her children's plates. She gulps and begins to laugh. Did you tell him that's what an orgasm is, I ask her? He's only 10. I'd have to explain sex if I explained what an orgasm is. The pleasure my brother received from the food has vanished. The chair is flat on the ground and he slouched in embarrassment, staring at his plate. Mom, mommy, madre, ma, mother. I think of how to start my sentence to explain the severity of the situation. I want to call her by her first name, Shirley. But we're Ecuadorians, and we don't call our parents by their first names, just like English speakers never name their sons Jesus, an unwritten rule. Madre, if he asks, he is old enough to know. School has taken care of the word sex, so I explain the word orgasm. You know how good it felt, like right now when you were eating? Sex feels good too. Well, sex or masturbation. There comes a moment it's so good that your body wants it to be over. It explodes and you feel it everywhere. That's an orgasm. Just don't say what a good orgasm ever again, okay? My mother says, thank you, Miha. Years later, when my brother is 19 and I'm 25, the three of us are watching the film Atonement. The second time the word cunt has been uttered, my mother asks, ¿Qué es cunt? What's, what is cunt? My brother looks at me to make it clear he will not take up the role of dictionary on this day. My eyes wander in circular motions, searching for the correct answer, the right words, a ton of voice that won't make my Spanish-speaking mother feel dumb. Mommy, the dictionary definition is vagina. The character says he wants to taste her cunt. This is not a negative context, but it's usually an insult, like asshole or cara de verga. The word is really harsh in the United States, but not as strong in Europe. She says gracias, mija. I wonder if she's asked others the definitions of foul words. Ma, whenever you don't know a word, you can ask me or my brother. Google helps if we're not around, I say. She nods, and I think of my mother's innocence, oblivious to words that wound. I arrive at my mother's apartment, and she says we need to speak in private. She has only said this a few times to me in my life, and I prepare to be chastised. She smacks the door of her room and whispers to me, Mia, the condom broke. I'm 45. I can't get pregnant again. I sigh and place my hands on her shoulders. I can't be a sister any more than you can be a mother again. Take your purse and a bottle of water. Follow me. The nearest pharmacy is five minutes away. We head to the aisle, white pregnancy tests, diapers, yeast infection creams, panty liners, gentle soap. I can't find it. I go to the front to ask the man at the counter. Do you have the day after pill? Yes, he says and begins rummaging out of our view. My mother is behind me. She's wearing high heels that she clings to during the weekends. Her arms lack flab, 
glossy hair falls buoyantly beyond her shoulders. People gasp when they overhear me calling her mother. She looks like a naive college student, like my sister. The man shows us a clear plastic box and pulls it apart to give us the wrapped pill. She signs the keypad in the rush of a woman determined to stop the spermatozoids from implanting her waiting egg. When we get in the car, she doesn't put on her seatbelt. Thank you, Miha. I don't even know how I would have asked for this, she says, gulping down the tiny pill before I can turn the key in the ignition. Thank you. You know, I try not to comment or do anything when my guests are reading, but I had to giggle once or twice. Your writing has always made me laugh. Like I, I heard you read that um, before and I just, it surprised me again. And I feel like you, I don't know, I feel like you include so much in this piece. That I just love it. I think that there's a lot here that we could talk about. But first, I'm curious about how it came to be and when you knew it was ready, you know, ready in quotes. This was one of the first pieces that I worked on, I believe in my first or second semester. And I don't think that I thought it was ready. I think one of my mentors said, hey, why don't you send this out? And I said, really? It's done, <laughs> really? And that also reminds me that sometimes it's other people kind of that push us and tell us, hey, you can do this. It's okay, you can try. And I think that I had that a lot, especially in the beginning. And it was just like, okay, because at the beginning you feel afraid of rejection or, you know, what if this is too weird? What will people think about me if I write about this um, mm-hmm. and write about, you know, sex and in my family or mm-hmm. how I view sex, how my brother views sex, how my mother views sex. But I also felt like it's important because it's something that's sometimes not really written about. So I think I took it took a lot of courage for me to send mm-hmm. this piece out into the world. But I'm glad mm-hmm. it was one of the pieces I sent out, one of the first pieces I sent out, because it was just like, hey, if that's out in the world, I can write about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what what it really strikes me about this, it catches me fresh the times that I read it and heard you read it aloud, is that there's a lot of tenderness here. There, The speaker, you know, you have so much tenderness for your brother, even in this moment of embarrassment, and, and the way that you notice your brother deciding he's just not going to answer this question that your mom asks, and the kindness and tenderness you have for your mother. And I feel like that is threaded through all of your work, sort of along with a lot of other elements, but this gentleness, this kindness, this love for family, and also your sense of humor and I know this is writing, it's not like I'm sitting down at your family table and watching this, but would you say that that is how you feel about them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that it's really hard to incorporate humor, especially in flash pieces or just pieces in general. But I feel like I grew up in a family that was chaotic, but in the midst of the chaos, there was always humor. So I mm-hmm. also try to include that in my writing as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you did work, or do you still work as a translator now? Yes, I do. That is part of mm-hmm. my day job. Mm-hmm. And when did you get a sense that aside from being a translator, you were a writer? Or since I don't know your entire history with writing, did you always feel like you were a writer? I always felt like I was a writer, 
But I would say that I didn't always feel like I could share my writing. I think Mm. that's where the distinction lies. And I Mm -hmm. think it had to do with maybe I just didn't feel ready. Um, I lived in Ecuador from 2004 to 2012. And that's where I went to the university and I got, well, I finished my bachelor's in translation interpretation in the United States, but that's where I started it. So my focus mm-hmm. for my bachelor's was really on you know, becoming a translator, which I would say at times it's almost like you have to become invisible in a certain sense because mm. you're not translating, you know, you're not conveying your own words, you're conveying somebody else's words. So I feel like that was really engraved in me for a long time because that's what I was working towards. And it wasn't until I came back to the United States in 2012 where I said, okay, I'm back here in the United States and it's an English speaking country and I got used to speaking English every day again and used to reading more in English. And then I said, oh, you know, I've always wanted to write about my life. And it wasn't, I would say, until about 2015, 2016 that I was like, I really want to do this. I really want Mm -hmm. to focus on this and actually work at my craft. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you gone to live in Ecuador again in in the time that you, you were there during a really crucial part of your development as a young adult, a teenager, young adult. And a lot of your work in this book is about the culture shock and the contrast and the the family and the environs and everything. Have you gone back to live? I have gone back to visit, but not to mm-hmm. live. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back around 2018, which was about six years since I'd lived in the United States. And I visited my family. I hadn't seen them in a while. And then I had a trip planned for, I believe, 2021. But because of the pandemic, that was delayed. And I haven't been able to go back since then. And I really want to go back soon. But no, I have not gone back to live. Mm. Now. Do, do you feel like the work that you are writing now or the projects that are occupying your creative space right now have similar themes as your first book or is it new stuff that you're talking about i do believe that well let me back up actually right now or in the past year i've been working on a flash fiction collection which is something that's very surprising to me because i considered Mm -hmm. myself an essayist and memoirist and only that for a very long time. I didn't think that I would venture into fiction, but then Mm. I started writing fiction during the pandemic and I love it. It's very different though from writing (laughs) about my life, but I do notice that the topics are very much the same about being a woman in this world, about family, about family dynamics, about Uh, trauma as you're growing up, you know, because I don't think that anyone can ever escape trauma in any type of family. There is always some type of trauma. And I think all of those characteristics are there, but very much in a different way, because Hmm. a lot of the stories have a seed maybe from my personal life, but Hmm. then the rest is fiction. It's what Mm -hmm. I make up. So I, I do think the themes are the same but it's definitely a completely different ball game for me. 
Yeah, I'd love to talk about this for another moment. I started by writing fiction. I think we talked about this back in yes. Connecticut. But yeah, I started by writing fiction and moved over to nonfiction. Whenever I try to dip my toe into fiction, I just find myself kind of very judgmental of myself and critical. I, I tend to not be able to really give over. And I just feel right now that I'm in a much more creative nonfiction space. And I know what my challenges are in fiction these days. And I, I kind of know what they are with the creative nonfiction. So can you share a little bit about what is more challenging for you in fiction or what is actually more freeing in fiction? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I would say that when it comes to nonfiction, sometimes it's really hard for me to go back to the moments of my life that were very difficult. Sometimes I just feel exhausted when I finish an essay mm -hmm. or when I'm working on an essay. But when I write fiction, I think that I have so much more liberty to write about anything and that does not pertain to my past. So it's a lot easier for me to just let go, to just mm -hmm. go wherever my mind wanders. And I think that maybe we talked about this when we when we met the first time, I might not might not be 100% sure, but the first fiction piece that I wrote actually started as nonfiction. And then I got to the end and I was about to start writing what really happened in my life. And then I said, you know what? I just don't like how that happened. I don't like how that came to be. What if I just change the ending and make it up? And then when I finished writing that, I said, wait, this is fiction. This isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> because even though, let's say, the beginning might be real, might be, let's say, autofiction, the end is a complete lie, a complete deviation from what really happened. And then I said, oh, my gosh, is this what fiction writers do? They just lie. <laughs> they just lie about things, and you just have the freedom to do this. So I feel like... That's the freedom that I get when I write fiction, that it's a little bit less exhausting in, in that sense, and um, that I can just go wherever. Yeah, I love that. I I do really love that. And I this this term autofiction, maybe it's been around for a while, but it's pretty new to me the last two years. Do you, do you know, can you define it for me, or, or is that too much to ask? Oh my gosh, I feel like that is too much to ask, but I, I do think it's that. So I think that you take moments and scenes from your life, and then you just start making up the rest, or you're tired with how things actually happen, so you're just like, hey, I'm going to change things around. So that's that auto is. fiction, but not fiction. I don't get it. Like that's what I'm seeing. Okay, this is why. <laughs> this is why I'm asking. Okay, because my fiction, most mm -hmm. of my fiction in my short story collection, is rooted totally in stuff that I understand and know and or have experienced at least peripherally. So for me, fiction, and I think I may have said this to you, if we had this conversation back in Connecticut, then I am repeating myself to you here, but I literally used to look around my program. My, I took some certificates in writing in fiction because that's where I began at University of Washington. And people would submit these stories and I'd read these stories in a workshop. I was a pretty new writer. And I'd look around the room and I'd think, who are you kidding? I know this happened to you. I know a, par a part of this is true. Why are you pretending that you're writing fiction? I just, 
you know, I don't know if I'm really, if I was accurate, but that's because that's how I was approaching my fiction, right? So maybe there are people out there. Yeah, maybe there are people out there who they make everything up. And of course, if you're looking at dystopian or certain genre fiction, maybe a lot of that is completely made up. But for me, my fiction always kinds of, it starts with something that I'm actually feeling or wondering about or I've experienced. I love that we both do the same thing. We use our real experiences and just change them around certain aspects. But I love that. But I think that I have spoken to other writer friends where they tell me, you know, no, I just completely made this up. It's just, oh, or I saw something, um, but not necessarily in my life. But I think that you and I both are like, okay, I'm going to take this event from my life and let's go from there. Let's see where this yeah. goes. It's just where I begin. And I think I love talking. This is actually, I think maybe this might be the first conversation on this podcast that that I've delved into the difference or how we approach our work in this in this genre way. And I think it's fascinating. And I love that you and I have each done a reversal in our own time. And, and your next book is likely going to be fiction then. Yes, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, technically, actually, my next book is that I was the editor for the 2023 Connecticut Literary Anthology. That's exciting. So I picked the nonfiction, fiction, and poetry, and it was just so great to work with authors from all over Connecticut. I just felt like I I was reading, actually, the the book this past week, rereading it because I hadn't read it in a few months just to make sure that Mm. everything was okay. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm really proud of this. Like, this is lovely. Mm. I can't wait until it's out there. So technically, that is my next book (laughs) as an editor, (laughs) though. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. But yes, right now, in the last year, I've been working on a flash fiction collection. Oh, wow. I'm excited to read both of those. I was going to ask you, actually, what your work and writing balance is like these days. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how you make time for writing and how you make time for livelihood and all that. Yeah, so I'm going to be super honest with this question because that is the type of person I am, I guess. <laughs> but I was on, I was just, I would say, on fire from 2017 until 2022. I was just writing. Obviously, the pandemic happened, and I was home for a lot of the time. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and read and read and read. And I couldn't stop because that was, I guess, my way of accepting what was happening around the world. I was home, and I finally had more time. So I would say that I focused a lot on writing. And then this year, my life changed completely because I got a divorce. And that Mm. actually stopped me in my tracks. It was the first time Mm -hmm. in many, many years that I actually stopped writing for months. And it Mm -hmm. reminded me that it's okay to stop. Just because I do stop Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it doesn't mean that I stop being a writer. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until July of this year that I actually had a residency that I went to. And it was the first time in many months that I was able to be creative and continue writing Mm -hmm. new fiction. Mm, I'm so glad you got to do that. Oh, gosh, yes. It was it was amazing. It was the exact type of residency I needed. I had the freedom um, to be in nature, to be by myself, and just to focus on writing. And uh, it was mm. the first time in a long time that I was able to clear my head and just focus on writing creatively. 
And I just think mm-hmm. that it's important to mention that because sometimes people say, you know what, I haven't been able to write a sentence in three months and four months because of this or because of that or because life is hectic. And it just reminded me that it's okay to take a break because your mind needs it or because your body needs it. I appreciate that very much. I am in one of those. I've been really busy with other things like getting the podcast ready and other projects, you know, places that I'm adjudicating for. And I just, I'm like, I have not written anything. Like I can't even talk about it and I feel so bad about it. But then I have to remind myself, I'll get back to it. I'll get back to it. And I do think I see the residency as sort of this promised land. And I think it's interesting because when I think about sitting at a a desk or at a place alone for days on end and then being able to be out in nature, I find that the idea that we have to get away from our life, we have to get away from the regular, the everyday, for me at least, so that I can get closer to myself and what I think about is so interesting that I have to I don't have to. Obviously, I've been writing while raising a family, while taking care of dogs, while being married, all that stuff, right? Like I've been doing it while I did my regular life, but I find more and more craving to go somewhere somewhere else where I'm dedicating this time away from the other parts of who I am so I can get closer to who I am. I love that. And I think that there are seasons. There might be a season mm-hmm. where we can handle everything, like you said, all my duties or all, all that I want to do outside of writing and writing at the same time, which I felt like was possible for me for a while. And then there might be a season where it's just like, you know what, I can't. And that's also fine too. And it, I think it's just about embracing those seasons and those times where you do have to just let go and stop and say the words will be there when I'm ready for them to come out again. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do you have books you recommend or memoirs that helped you hone your voice that you'd like to share here? Sure. So um, when you asked me this question, I felt like I hadn't thought about it in a while. So one of the first books that came to my mind was Autobiography of a Face by Lucy Greeley. Mm -hmm. So that one, just I remember reading that a while ago and just, just being enamored with how Lucy Greeley wrote. Um, My mentor, Adriana Paramo, who has a few memoirs out, um, including My Mother's Funeral, and I would just recommend to read more, you know, South American and Latin American writers in general. Mm -hmm. And my favorite memoir of all time is Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. And because I like to be outdoors, I like to climb a bit, not like John Krakauer. (laughs) But I just remember reading that for the first time and just being blown away. And it's one of the books that I reread every year. Oh, wow. Thank you. Okay. And so what parting advice would you give to writers who are working on memoirs? Well, I would definitely say join generative workshops. I know that sometimes the MFA program is not something that's doable for many reasons, but I think that there are a lot of organizations and also amazing freelance writers that hold generative workshops. And a lot of times where I feel like I'm in a funk, I join them and something comes from those Mm -hmm. workshops. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. I was thinking about this. I didn't know this was (laughs) in the back of my head. And then it comes out through one of the workshops. Um, I also think that having an accountability partner or partners, whether it's just 
sending an email or a text message every week and saying, okay, this week I wrote 500 words, or this week I wrote 1,000 words or 5,000 words, or Mm -hmm. an actual workshop buddy where at least once a month or maybe once a week you swap work and give each other feedback if you really trust them. I think it should be someone that you really trust, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. that one of the things that has helped me a lot when I stepped out of my program and finished it and I no longer had that structure going for me is finding friends that wanted to continue to write and wanted to hold each other accountable in a respectful way. And uh, that has helped me a lot to continue writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes I think, especially if we're feeling like we're in a rut, someone asking, what are you working on? Or let's just meet and write next to each other for a little while can be really helpful. It makes you feel like you're in the mix a little bit. I agree. So where can people find you? What's the best place to go to read your writing or connect with you? Definitely my website, which is my name, victoriawitran.com. And you'll be able to see my work there and nonfiction, fiction, and poetry. Also, I am on Instagram and Twitter. Well, X, whatever it's called now. I haven't really really tweeted that much lately, but I am active on Instagram. So those are the two places. I don't know where else we'll be migrating to because (laughs) X seems like it's going downhill. I don't know. Now do we call it like I X'd instead of I I tweeted? I don't don't know. It's confusing. I have no clue. I don't think I can say I X'd because that sounds super weird. It does sound weird. I hope that wherever the writers go to, I just get like a memo so I can join them. Um, So I know where the workshops are and who's doing what. And um, but for now, I would say mostly Instagram. Yeah. Okay. I'll add all that to the show notes. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being my guest. I love talking with you. Thank you so much, Ronine. I really hope that Maybe there will be, maybe not in Connecticut, but maybe we'll be able to meet in another library and read our future work someday. I would love to. I would love to. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.